0: Jedi Squadron is a podcast run by the Anime Secrets website. Check us out at AnimeSecrets.org for more anime, video game, tokusatsu, and now Star Wars content. Remember to follow us on Spotify,
1: Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Hello,
0: new Padawans, and welcome to the Jedi Squadron podcast. Here, you will be taking lessons in the mini- pieces of the Star Wars universe, whether it be the movies, animated series, video games, comics, and etc. This is your training into becoming a Star Wars fan as part of the Jedi Squadron. May your training go well,
1: and may the Force be with you, young Padawans.
0: What is going on, Star Wars Nation? This is the Jedi Squadron Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan D'Saugh.
1: And I am Rizwan Merchant.
0: And today we are reviewing chapter six of the Ahsoka series called Far, Far and Away. But before we get started, we do want to say that this is being done in the middle of the Writers Guild and Screen Actors Guild strikes. And we want to make it clear that we are not being paid to promote any of this work. We are doing this to show our support for the very talented actors and very talented writers without whose talent shows like this would not be possible. And and we do mean that because... I mean, at this point, and I th- i know there's only two episodes left, but I think we can say that, like, Ahsoka is probably, it is really starting to come into its own as, like, one of the, maybe the best live-action Star Wars series we've gotten.
1: Yeah, like, definitely, definitely where I'm leaning on it right now. Like, this is, this is starting to get better than Mando season one. Which I know a lot of people have called one of their favorite things to watch into live action Disney stuff. I mean, my favorite live action series to watch, and I know I'm going to get a
0: lot of black from this from some fans. My favorite live action series to watch was Kenobi. I think yeah. this is I think this is better than Kenobi.
1: Oh, 100 percent better than Kenobi. There's no two ways about that. Um, my favorite was Mando. Uh, season one, I think. Yeah, I was like. It had a slow beginning, but mm-hmm. I just enjoyed not having something set where we know the character's past and the future of the character. But in this case, you know, Ahsoka, we have a lot of rich history with Clone Wars, Rebels, yep. and we know the history of like everything from the trilogy movies. Mm-hmm. So we know the future and present and Past of each of these characters for the most part. Like, I, we don't know exactly where Ahsoka is during the sequel trilogy. Yeah. But, you know, we have a pretty good idea of what's going on for the most mm-hmm. part. So, no, yeah, I think this has been one really great TV show.
0: Yep. So, to give a recap of what happened in the previous uh, episode, which was called uh, Sh- uh, Shadow Warrior. Um, so the first half of the episode was basically just Ahsoka going through training with the spirit of Anakin and the world between worlds. We got some big uh, Clone Wars flashbacks. Everyone had their massive fangasms, including the two people who are talking to you on this podcast right now. Um, and then she got returned to the real world and she was rescued from the ocean by Hera and the rebel pilots. And they actually located her thanks to Jason, who sensed her through the Force, because this confirms that, well, hints that he has Force sensitivity from his father. And they mentioned Kanan by name in the previous episode. Finally. Um, It took
1: him long enough.
0: Yeah. And then with the star map lost, Ahsoka approached this uh, group of Purgles on the planet Setos, and then she and Hu Yang entered the mouths of one in their ship, and now the Purgles... Have entered hyperspace, hoping to lead them to this uh, new galaxy, and that's where the episode ended. Um, Sabine didn't appear in this episode at all. In that episode at all, so in this episode, even though Ahsoka and Kuyang do appear in the like cold open, I guess you could say, they don't appear for the rest of the episode. Like this is like a pure Sabine, and with a uh, with quite a bit of a uh, Balin and uh, Shin's character. Yeah. Now, um,
1: before we get to like stuff beyond the cold open, I do want to point out a unintentional, intentional Easter egg that I think deserves a quick mention here from the last episode that I thought about during the yeah. last week: um, Ahsoka and Hugh Yang being transported to the um, new galaxy and the pergol as a callback to Pinocchio because they're in the belly of a whale. Oh, and it's a Disney Easter egg. (laughs) Yeah. Disney. I just wanted to throw it out there that (laughs) we have, we had another Easter egg. Did you and I kind of miss the first time? Yeah. So, yeah. But
0: anyway, uh, The only real thing that happens in the cold open is that Ahsoka apparently sensed that Sabine willingly gave the star map to Balin and Shin, which if you watched our review of uh, episode four, then you'll know that that was already established. Uh, But she didn't tell Hera, which, you know, I guess makes sense. She doesn't want Hera to worry because Sabine is like Hera's daughter, basically. Uh, Yeah. uh, Then after that, uh, pretty much the rest of the episode takes place on the planet, uh, Peridia, which is, uh, the planet in this new galaxy. Uh, Morgan identifies this as the homeworld of the, her Dathomiri ancestors. Uh, so, uh, we meet with the Night Sisters, who make their live-action debut here. Uh, they, they all look pretty much exactly how they do. In the Clone Wars, they're a little bit of an Easter egg here. They're kind of made to particularly resemble, uh, Mother Talzin. Uh, the Main one she was voiced by Barbara Goodson in the uh, in the Clone Wars um, and they can actually send Jedi in Sabine uh, we get this big thing where we get more uh, character development you could probably honestly say that this episode is mostly about Balin and his character development uh, so he apparently talks about how he watched everything he ever knew burn during the great Jedi purge and the rise of the empire. And pretty much he's basically he's sick of seeing all these constant, like some one thing falls and something comes up. Like he, he saw the Republic fall and the empire rise up and now he's seen the empire fall and he's seen the new Republic rise up. So he wants to align himself with Thrawn so that he can just just, End that circle of one thing rising and another thing falling. Yeah, uh, which yeah, that makes sense. I and honestly, when he said that, like he watched everything that he knew burn. Um, you know when the Jedi were wiped out, I honestly kind of feel sorry for the guy a little bit. Like,
1: yeah, and like he's not a bad person. Like he's not somebody that you want to see defeated mm-hmm. like i have empathy for what he went through as a child or a young padawan learner um i am interested to know who his master would have been though yeah
0: i mean like Baylan might be my favorite new character in this whole thing because oh,
1: he is amazing he,
0: like even when he had that big confrontation with ahsoka like he doesn't want to kill ahsoka he would have said hey i mean We don't have to fight. You can join me, and, I mean, I'll help you. Like, I mean, there's nothing... Like, he legitimately doesn't... I don't think that he thinks he's evil. I think that he legitimately thinks that he's doing something good.
1: He thinks he's doing right by the world. That's all he's thinking, you know?
0: And... I mean, and when you make a villain like that and you actually make their motivation understandable and you can convey to us that they don't think that they're evil, like, those are some of the most amazing villains in, like, any work of fiction.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's also the scene later on in the episode, uh, we're jumping a little bit ahead, but there's a scene where Balin and Sin are on the planet Paredia and they're talking about the events of the past and the future and Balin says uh sin you're not just a padawan you're much more than that i'm building us to be basically the saviors of our galaxy is what i got out of it yeah
0: and i which also kind of gives me the idea that like he genuinely respects shin and wouldn't send shin to do something that he wouldn't do like he's not yeah. going to send shin to her death yeah or something like that
1: but i feel like sin is more unhinged than yeah sin. so i'm a little concerned about his trust in her
0: yeah all, all the good things i say about Balin don't apply to shin she just comes off as like legitimately crazy like yeah no, evil. yeah like i get the feeling that if Balin wasn't there she would have killed sabine the minute she got the chance.
1: If Balin wasn't there, she might've become like the next generation inquisitor. Yeah.
0: But anyway, uh, so Thrawn arrives at um, the tower that they're waiting at. Uh, he still has his, uh, star destroyer chimera, which has been his flagship. Uh, the star destroyer chimera has basically been Thrawn's flagship in every iteration, even, uh, like he first got it when he became captain in the Thrawn novel. Yep. It's his ship in Rebels. And it was also his ship in basically all of his appearances in Legends as well. Yeah. Um, so he confronts Sabine and he offers to take her, well, show her where Ezra is. Um, although he warns that they're going to be stranded when they leave Peridia. So, yeah, he's pretty much true to, true to Sabine, uh, true to his character. You know, he's not, I don't know. You don't really get the vibe that like he's doing something truly evil. Like he's playing a fair game of chess in this, in this match. So, um, so after Sabine fights off some, uh, bandits, uh, while riding on one of these creatures called a howler, uh, she, um, although we find out that apparently, uh, Thrawn is actually, you know, chasing her with Balin and Shin, and he's also going to ambush her with troops a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, Sabine encounters these hermit crab-like creatures called noddies. And now, by the way, the Howlers and uh, noddies, they're not creatures that have appeared in any other Star Wars thing. Because keep in mind, this is supposed to be a planet outside of the galaxy. so And they've not appeared in Legends material either. So these types of creatures are all like 100% original in the yeah. show. Um, so they take him to their camp. And we see Jabba the Hutt. Okay, Actually, no, we do see Jabba the Hutt. Ezra. Ezra makes his live-action debut here. And he and and Sabine reunite. And, uh, you know, they take, of course, the heartfelt jabs and the hugs. You know, this guy, I I can't remember what the actor's name is. but I don't know. (laughs) But he gets Ezra down perfectly. Like, this is what I would imagine Ezra would be now that he's a fully grown adult. Uh, And... And they have him, like, look exactly how he looks, too. Like, I I noticed that he still has that scar that he got after the encounter with the Grand Inquisitor at the end of Season 1.
1: Oh, he did have a scar?
0: Yeah, I noticed that.
1: I didn't notice. That's good to know, though. Um,
0: And Ezra is celebrating the fact that he can go home, but Sabine looks like she's distraught over what's going to happen when they go home. And... The episode ends with the Night Sisters revealing that Ahsoka's ship is approaching, and Thrawn orders Morgan to attack the ship and eliminate
1: her. Yeah. So, Nate, before you get into your post recap thoughts and review, I do want to start the discussion on where I'm landing right now Mm -hmm. because I'm going to need some help here. Deciding where I'm going to end up landing on this episode. As I have. Like I mentioned to you offline. Yeah. I have conflicting views on the episode. That I'm trying to reconcile into like. One straight path. That I can say okay. This is what I feel about the episode. Okay. Okay. So on one hand. I absolutely loved every aspect of this episode. I thought. This is great movement for. For. All of our characters, we gain a whole lot of information we did not have before, including uh one thing that we didn't really mention in the recap is, Balin reveals that all the Jedi that come after the Order was eliminated are known as Boken Jedi. Yep. And I found that very interesting because Boken is the word for a wooden sword in Japanese. And
0: what did we see Ahsoka and Sabine training with? They're the, both like, episode,
1: yeah, yeah. So it comes full circle because you know Luke, Ezra, um, Sabine—they're all—they're all learning from people who were part of the Jedi Order previously, but they're not able to learn in that environment. And so they're learning the bare bone minimum basics, I think. So to have them called a Bokan Jedi is very interesting to me. But back on my original train of thought before I got on my sidetrack, I thought Sabine's character development was really good in that she feels the guilt of what she did at the end, like she's feeling distraught, like you said, about what, what's to come because she has a huge part to play in what could be happening. And if it does go south, um fingers could be pointed at her for you know leading them to the new galaxy by giving them the star map information and all that. Yep. So Sabine will feel very guilty and that's why she's distraught. Now, I'm having a hard time dealing with the fact that Sabine is so cold to this possibility prior to meeting Ezra. Like, Sabine doesn't give a single crap up until then about what's going to happen to that galaxy back home. She's just concerned at finding Ezra. And while I understand all the loss she has gone through with Kanan, with her family on Mandalore and just the Mandalorian plight in general and everything else that's happened and then losing Ezra on top of it all. I get that she's desperate to get some sense of family back, but I also have a hard time believing that the Sabine Wren that we left at the end of season four of Rebels would have been okay with doing the things that she's done so far in Ahsoka the TV show. I see what you're saying. I, th- I,
0: I, if I had to think though, like, okay, she, she only seems to be distraught when Ezra says he can't wait to go home. Part of me wonders, like, maybe the idea of her going back never really crossed her mind because she only ever had her sight because, like, she was very short-sighted because, like, you know, she, she's lost her whole family, so she wants to have a sense of family back, so the only thing that's been on her mind is getting Ezra back. Well, yeah. now she has Ezra back, but she probably like, keep in mind, she hasn't seen Ezra for like three years. So she probably had no, she probably didn't think she would ever get Ezra back. Yeah. Now that she does, all of a sudden it's, oh yeah, I had to to get Ezra back. I made this really big decision yeah, I kind of forgot about that.
1: Well, and but her my... big decision has big impacts that Ezra will not be okay with. Like, leaving Ahsoka for dead, basically. Yeah. And, I, mean, I don't know, even, even taking this out of the equation, even her attitude towards the Howler, it felt a little rough and cruel in a way. Because that Howler, just a... It's a dumb creature. It doesn't have any real sentience to it.
0: Yeah, that seemed like it was trying too hard to be like a comic relief scene.
1: Well, it failed because I didn't feel humor to what she said, like, oh, well, you ran at the first sign of danger. Yeah, the Howler's going to run at the first sign of danger because it's scared to get blasted because it's scary yeah bright lights big noise I mean that's enough to scare any animal um so I didn't really care for her her treatment of the howler in the beginning like yeah,
0: I didn't care much for that either
1: it it would be it would be going against the very nature of what Ezra would have wanted, and that's a constant theme I keep coming back to here is. Everything Sabine's done is against what Ezra would have wanted. Like, Ezra came to this galaxy with Thrawn to prevent Thrawn from doing the unspeakable to the Empire and solidifying the Empire's hold on the galaxy even further. Um, But Sabine throws all that away by going there in the first place. Well, maybe it's also that,
0: like, the more I think about it, like, I have this noted in my, uh in my, in the Easter eggs. So the very first line that Ezra says before uh Sabine uh, sees him is, quote, I knew I could count on you, unquote, which is, kind of in reference to the very last thing he said to Sabine, and this is in Rebels, not in his message that we see yeah. him, um, where he's counting on Sabine to, like, see his mission through. Well, his mission was to make sure that Thrawn goes away and never comes back. So maybe, like, it's, like, it's also hit her, well, if this, and maybe this is why she's very distraught. Like, maybe she's realized, I've kind of failed Ezra, Cause I've I'm kind of indirectly enabling Thrawn to return, which is the exact opposite of what Ezra wanted. And maybe that plays into like how why she seems so distraught about going home. Yeah. Like, I gotta know. The the next episode is gonna have is gonna be ver gonna have its hands full <laughs> trying to revolve with that.
1: Yeah. Um that's a very big concern of like how Sabine will come to terms with what she's done, especially when she's come face to face with Ahsoka again, because at the very least, Hu Yang is not going to let it go.
0: Yeah. Hu Yang. Definitely not.
1: Ahsoka might, because she's above all that and she went through a really big journey of her own, but Hu Yang is not going to let her off the hook when he learns what he did to get where she did yeah and I
0: don't know I don't feel like two episodes is enough to like really like contain unless they do like two like like very long episodes like I don't know maybe they should consider giving this show a season two
1: I think they will I yeah, think they- so looking at the Star Wars plan going forward that I read a couple of months ago it seems like All paths lead to a Felony movie. Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka. Maybe Skeleton Crew fits into it as well. I don't quite know about that. Information on Skeleton Crew is kind of sparse at the moment, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But all paths lead to a Felony movie. But I don't think... Even if the writer's strike had not been going on right now... And we were in a time of, you know, more peace. I don't think they were even ready to discuss a timeline for the movie coming out next year or the year after. I think that movie is set out like three, four years from right now. Yeah. Because we're going to probably get Mando season four. We're going to probably get Ahsoka season two. And we might get some other companion TV show to fill in the gaps like something to do with the uh, New Republic Fighters TV show that it got cancelled yeah um, so I think th- there is a very good likelihood that the Ahsoka story does not end on, in two weeks from now it'll continue on after yeah and honestly, I think all paths are going to lead to an Heir to the Empire movie. Which would be absolutely amazing. I I don't know too much about it, but that's what everyone's been kind of saying. Is that we have a lot of... Um, signs of it right now.
0: And honestly, it would be perfect timing, too. Because, um, like... Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that I remember, uh, the original Thrawn trilogy uh, with with the first book, "Here to the Empire," that takes place uh, five years after "Return of a Jedi." Yep, this is around that time period. So, I mean, if they canonized the Thrawn trilogy like that, that would that would just be absolutely amazing. And it, honestly, it would work a lot better than it did in Legends because you know we have all of this other stuff that Thrawn has done. With his novels and what the he books, did in rebels yeah. so thrawn is a much more fleshed out villain
1: like yeah that. i don't i don't know too much about thrawn in the legends continuity i mean but I, don't, I i don't know much either honestly but i will say what i've read in one and a half books of thrawn so far he is really well written i mean also vader in the second book is really well written and we see more of the personal side of Vader that we don't see mm-hmm. in any live action or animated series all that much. But I that that's neither here nor there. But just something to throw at that. Yeah. Thrawn yeah. is a great character and he's being given a lot to work with here.
0: And speaking of which, like, what do we think is wrong? Because he makes his live action debut here. And by the way, guys, he's uh, he's played by uh, Lars Mikkelsen, who voiced him in Rebels. So much like uh, Bo Katan and uh, Ryder Azadi, we have another character who is played in live action by the actor that voiced them in the animated series.
1: Yeah, I I thought his personality was pretty on point with what I'm reading in the book. Like, when he finds out Ahsoka's on the way, what is the first thing he wants? He wants background information on Ahsoka. Who was her master? What has her history been like? Where has she been? He wants all that info. Because just like in Rebels and just like in the book, he wants to study the true extent to his enemies to make a calibrated decision on how to best combat them. And reading the second book, Nate, I'm very interested in knowing how Thrawn doesn't already know that Anakin was Ahsoka's master, given he spends a lot of time with Vader in the second book. And while it hasn't been confirmed yet, and and the point I'm at in the book, I feel like he's going to know by the end of it that Anakin and Vader are the same person.
0: Yeah. Although, like, and the Wikipedia article on this episode kind of points out how like, uh, the, the book you're reading is Thrawn Alliances, right? Yeah. Apparently, uh, Ahsoka was mentioned by name to Thrawn in that book, Uh, but some people are speculating that maybe he does know that Ahsoka was Anakin's Padawan, but either, again, you know, there's always been speculation. Does he know that Vader was Anakin's, like, and Anakin are the same people? And, but even if they do maybe he wants to know more about ahsoka's relationship with anakin and i think that's probably the best way they can make sense out of it
1: that's what i'm kind of thinking um yeah i need to finish reading that book pretty quick
0: yeah and i mean that can't be an er error because i do know that filoni i mean filoni's not always perfect with keeping up with continuity in the books like there's uh if he was behind tales of a jedi there is one Error that I, although if I do more research, maybe I could do that, but I do know that he and uh, Timothy Zahn, who, uh, Timothy Zahn does the Thrawn books, I do know that he keeps in some contact with Timothy Zahn, because like I said, I mean, the, one of the, one of Thrawn's very first lines in Star uh, season three of Rebels is a reference to the climax of the original Thrawn novel, so yeah. I, I feel that Filoni does work closely with Timothy, Timothy Zahn, at least, so I guess maybe that's what he was going for, because, I don't know, like, Dave Filoni, if, you, if you've seen interviews with this guy, like, this is a guy who probably pays more attention to continuity than, than George Lucas himself, so that's not a detail that would just fly over Dave Filoni's head.
1: Now, one thing about the Lars Mickelson portrayal of Thrawn here that people are kind of calling a uh, historical for Star Wars is while other people have voiced the character and then gone on to play them in live action looking at you, Bokatan, this is the first time we get a villain introduced only in the animated TV show then that villain comes to the live action screen with the same actor normally it's the other way around with James Earl with the Vader. Is it though?
0: I don't remember Bo-Katan being... But
1: Bo-Katan's not a villain.
0: Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Bo-Katan is more of an anti-hero.
1: Yeah. And I, I find that I find that to be a very weak celebration to have, but <laughs> if people want to harp on that being something really big and like different or unique, have at it, I guess.
0: I mean, I'm good with, uh, what, with Lars Mickelson uh, voice, uh, doing it. Cause I mean, he gets the voice of Thrawn down good, but I'm, I really, I mean, Lars Mickelson is a great actor, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if like Thrawn looks as, and again, I mean, he's a bit older, so I guess I can kind of, you know, let it do it. But Lars Mickelson doesn't look as intimidating as Thrawn. Like, I don't know. A lot of people say, but he looks like Elon Musk and, uh. My wife actually says that he looks like the South Korean president, <laughs> but like I need Google right now. Hang on. Yeah, that's what my yeah that's what my wife keeps saying. But uh yeah, I mean, I think I said this in our Rebels review. I really wish that Thrawn, and again, I get why they couldn't do it because he already voiced the Grand Inquisitor. But yeah, I think that Jason Isaacs should have voiced Thrawn, and like and like he would play thrawn in live action because i don't know i mean have you seen jason isaacs play lucius malfoy he can be one of the most intimidating people ever
1: yes i've seen the harry potter movies nate i am a Potterhead, right of (laughs) course um i mean even if you've seen other movies like he plays this uh
0: it's not a great movie. I think it's absolutely stupid. Uh, but it's this Mel Gibson movie called The Patriot where he plays like this intimidating British captain. Like he's intimidating in that movie too. So,
1: okay. Yeah, I've not seen it, I don't
0: think. Yeah, well, you don't have to. It's a, it's a stupid movie, but, um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, to be honest, uh, if I'm going to, you know, kind of transition into my own thoughts, like, you know, you you kind of already said what we said about Sabine. I, I feel like this episode, w- focusing on Sabine is where it's the weaker parts. But like I said when we were going over the recap, like, what makes this episode the strongest is that the fleshing out that they do with Balin, uh, n- not so much Shin, but like Balin, like, th- th- this is... Like, this is almost stuff that seems, like, on par with, like, how they flesh out Count Dooku to make him seem like a much more yeah. believable villain in Tales of a Jedi. Like, like I don't know. Like, Balin might be my, like... And I really hope that they have him go out in a really great way or, you know, something happens. Like, I don't even know if I want to see this guy die or get defeated because I kind of almost low-key feel for him even if he is horribly misguided with his motivations
1: well the issue is the real life actor is no longer with us so i know we can't have a continuous and a story beyond ahsoka so i hope whatever his story is in the next two episodes it gets wrapped up and we get some kind of sense of closure with it because i don't think they can really do anything more with him now yeah. <sighs>
0: May Ray Stevenson
1: rest in peace. Yep. Now I will say that all those scenes with Balin are probably some of the best stuff I in this episode for me as well. Yeah. Um, just getting all the info about like what the Jedi Order was and what it is now, like that the typings of Jedi was a very interesting take on it. And it makes me wonder what other types of Jedi did we have categories for? Like we had the Boken, obviously, and then we might've had, you know, there's other types within even the order. I'm kind of curious about now learning more info on that.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know if there's, been other types like this, like um, when I was looking at like um some uh, like references regarding that, like this is the first time that a Boken Jedi has been, you know, stated in any form of continuity. So that could probably be a new term. I
1: yeah, because I haven't found any terms for like other types of Jedi. Yeah, nor have I. Um, I-, I think that's like something is building up to do something with later. Yeah. And also the other really cool part of this episode of seeing Night Sisters in live action.
0: Yeah. Yeah, those are really cool. Uh and yeah. and I, I really love how this kind of fleshes out their uh their story with because uh like them be like I mean, I know, but I kind of spoke up, you know, like this new galaxy that, you know, we're going to like sh- introducing us to other creatures like the Yusan Vong and the Sairu, which I mean, they didn't do that, which is fine. I'm cool with this just being a Night Sister type of world because it makes sense for the Night Sisters to be from a completely different galaxy because they use the Force, but their understandings of the Force are way different from how the jedi used the force so it makes sense for them to be like from another galaxy honestly
1: yeah and then also um we do get the sense that it's possible at the very least that a lot of species and people might have originated in this galaxy because I I feel like Peridia is very strong in the force and one of the YouTubers I was listening to the other day I forget which one it was now they were calling out that Peridia is stronger in the force than anywhere else we've seen so far in canon and that might be because this is the origin point of where the first Jedi came from alongside the first Sister, And it might also be the galaxy where Yoda's people come from. And maybe it's where Yoda comes from in general. Yeah, even in, even in, they
0: have never really gone so much into the detail with Yoda. Now I do know that he appears in the high Republic novels, which I'm going to get started on pretty soon, but. Yeah, they don't really talk too much, even in Legends, about like what Yoda's training was. Yeah, uh,
1: so was it makes me lot. kind of wonder if the reason we even have Grogu in the Mandalorian TV show to begin with is to kind of feed into this other galaxy concept and say that maybe the people of Yoda are in another galaxy and that's why we never see anyone beyond Yoda and Yaddle before now. Yeah.
0: The only other one that I know, and even then, I don't know if this is going to be, uh, maybe it'll be canonized when they do the re-releases of the Knights of the Old Republic video games, but uh, there was a Jedi Master in the original Knights of the Old Republic game called Vandar, who was the species of Yoda, and he was actually voiced by the same actor who uh, voices Yoda in most video games and animated shows, but that's the only other person of yoda species that i can recall and they might change that i hear that the knights of the old republic video game is going to largely be the same story when they re-release it for canon Mm -hmm. Uh, but i don't know like that's the only other one and again it's not even canon unless they decide not to change that one character in the video game but yeah um but yeah i mean seeing the knight sisters in a and live action is just great because I mean, the the knight sisters are you know a very just a fascinating thing. I mean, obviously we have a side of interest. If there's also I don't know how far Riz is in Fallen Order, but there's a night sister character in that video game that's a very interesting character named Marin.
1: I've read um, about her, but I haven't seen her in the game yet.
0: Yeah, and I, I hear that she gets expanded on in uh, in the um. In the, uh, in the sequel to the video game, which I'm hoping to play soon, as soon as I can get a PS5 pretty soon, but uh, I, I am going to be playing that game. And by the way, guys, uh, Riz and I are going to take a look at a, at least Fallen Order. I've yeah. played the game twice, so... Um, but, so, yeah. I mean, just seeing them in live action now is really cool, and I hope that uh, I kind of... I You know, it's just cool to see the... Tr- um, it uh, translated there. And not only that, but uh, I'm really hoping that uh, possibly in the uh, next episode, uh, if only just to give people like us some uh, things to uh, kind of go crazy about. Uh, there's part, there's a point where uh, Thrawn agrees to load Night Sister cargo on his ship, and there's like caskets. Are those bodies of knights, of dead Night Sisters? Because if you've watched Clone Wars and if you've played Fallen Order, you'll know that. The Knight Sisters sure do love to resurrect their own kind and send zombie night sisters at people. So could we get that in live action? Because that would be totally awesome if we could do that.
1: Yeah. No, that's definitely a possibility. And it also leads way to a popular theory that Thrawn's night troopers that he has are actually undead soldiers.
0: Yeah, that was a n um like uh That apparently would be similar. Uh, There's apparently a book I haven't read it, but I, but I did hear it be mentioned a lot. That uh, there's a book called Death Troopers. Yep, is where uh, it's a Legends book now. But uh, there's apparently like it's all about a group of like zombie stormtroopers. So yeah, uh,
1: it was it was a way to make horror stories fit into the Star Wars universe. And it's inspired by stuff like Alien and Designing. Yeah. I've done some I've done some reading into this book because I want to read it.
0: Yeah, it sounds interesting. Yeah. And the one other thing I want to bring up about uh this, um I I I understand if they can't really go into much focus uh in this because they have to focus on uh, Thrawn wanting to return, but for this one planet in the new galaxy that we get to see. I get a lot of Tolkien inspirations in this. Uh, for those who uh, don't know the uh, nerd language, Tolkien, J.R. Tolkien, the guy who created the Lord of the Rings books. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't know, the whole look of this planet just looks like it was inspired by Middle Earth. Like, you know, the tower that the Night Sisters are on, it reminded me, especially the top of the tower, it reminds me of a Saruman's Tower or Thank. That he lives in in Isengard. And uh, the Howler, uh, those kind of look like the wargs, you know, the wolves of Isengard that they have to fight in uh, the two towers. Uh, That's what it reminded me of. And um, Star Wars explained, I was watching one of his videos and I kind of agree with this. uh, The Naughty, those uh, hermit crab-like creatures, somebody said their clothes kind of look like hobbit clothes,
1: which I can kind of... I love Naughty. They're so great.
0: Yeah. And even their ability to, like, hide under a rock, like, that actually reminded some people of a... I don't know um, how many people who are listening to this are familiar with Lord of the Rings, but there's a scene in The Two Towers, and it's in both versions, theatrical or extended, where uh, Frodo and Sam are just outside of the Black Gate, and uh, they have to hide from, like, a passing army, so, like, they pull their elvish cloaks over them and it makes them look like a rock well these hermit crab like creatures are able to hide to make it look like they're just rocks on the ground very sort of so i feel like this world uh was inspired a lot by like just middle earth and tolkien lore which i'm all for because this is supposed to be a new galaxy with a completely different look to it so yeah i mean i i totally dig it i have like i do feel like I'm on a world that I wouldn't normally be in in like the actual Star Wars universe.:
1: Yeah, and like, I see where you're coming from on that. I do think that we could have had a little bit more like, I don't want to say like drama leading up to their entry to the new galaxy, but the way they jumped into hyperspace and then they popped back up in this new galaxy. It felt like they just popped up anywhere in the current galaxy too. Like it didn't really seem like that big of a jump, minus the fact that they have a giant ring, right? But Yeah. I would have expected a little bit more going on there. Like maybe a visual of how that transition looks from one galaxy to the other. How do you how do you portray that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I don't think we really got that in the opening scene here. But I mean, they maybe they could do that next
0: next time in when the they're hopping back. When, well, either that or maybe like they could show Ahsoka and the Pergles entering the new galaxy.
1: Yeah, and that'd be great if they can do that. Um, because I just want to see like what, how, how do we differentiate? Because Peridia could have been any planet in our current galaxy, and nothing would have changed.
0: Well, yeah, but I feel like the, with them like establishing that, like this is where the Night Sisters came from. I feel like yeah. having it come from a new galaxy does work with.
1: Oh yeah, definitely, it makes sense. Like that, that all makes sense. I'm just talking about the visual representation of the traveling. That I'm kind of, I want more of that to yeah. see it. um let's see there's something else i want to touch on what was it we talked about the night sisters we talked about the death trooper novel uh did we did you talk about hu yang's uh stories have we gotten into that
0: no we haven't
1: okay so in the beginning of the episode when ahsoka and Hughing are traveling he makes mention of the old stories that he used to tell at the Jedi Temple. And before, like, and so Ahsoka says, yeah, I'd like to hear one after endlessly, you know, them just talking about everything. And he begins it with a long time ago in a galaxy is far, far away. yeah, Dot, dot, dot. And that's where it kind of <laughs> transitions to the Sabine stuff. That was
0: so perfect. Yeah. I so you were talking about how he might be referring to something from like the certain point of view books, but oh, yeah, but for me, like, and you know, I'm kind of going off of some of what Star Wars explained, like, so Ahsoka says so history of the galaxy parts one, two, and three, and Ahsoka says part one is the best. Well, here's the thing, and everybody who knows about Star Wars knows this there's three star wars trilogies and there's all every single star wars fan and i'm not i'm not sing i'm not talking about i'm not talking about people who like only watch like like people like us who watch the cartoons if you are just a star wars fan who's watched the movies every single star wars fan and you know this do not deny it you have the people who think that the original trilogy is the best the people who think the prequels are the best and then there's that very small group of people who very small who probably think the sequel trilogy is the best and what do all of those people have in common they passionately and like with vehement passion defend the idea that their trilogy is the best and I feel like Ahsoka is one of those people who just thinks that part one is the best and will passionately defend that and and knowing Filoni that just seems like too perfect of a line to think that that was just a Casual thing. That that was an intentional joke on his part. Now,
1: now, do you think when they say part one, do you think they're referencing the original trilogy or are they referencing the prequel trilogy?
0: That's what I'm I don't know.
1: Because I wanna say that Ahsoka is calling the Clone War era Yeah the best part because that's that was scene. her era. Yeah.
0: And Dave Filoni grew up, like... Well, I don't know if he grew up, but, like, he was, like, a die-hard fan of the prequels. Like, the dude showed up to the premiere of Revenge of the Sith cosplaying as Plo
1: So That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah, by the way, Dave Filoni is, a like, a huge fanboy of Plo Coon, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. so Which is why Plo Coon has a much bigger role in, like, a bunch of Clone Wars episodes. Yeah. But, uh, but so... I would imagine maybe he's referring to part one as the prequels, but maybe he's referring to the original trilogy. That that would be a hot debate.
1: It'd be very interesting. And I'd like to see Filoni come out and explain that in like an interview or something.
0: Yeah. But what was it that you were talking about with a certain point of view thing?
1: I I'm still trying to find. I've been looking at it, for it on the side. But I'll probably have a better answer for us on the episode seven podcast. Um, but I read somewhere prior to buying a copy of A Certain Point of View, part one, that one of the short stories in that novel is set with some kind of race of people that felt very akin to the Watcher in Marvel. How he's just kind of there to witness history. Uh-huh. And this guy is chronicling the history of what's going on in the galaxy. And I think he might be chronicling like the history of the galaxies part one, two, and three that we're talking about. But I can't find the reference again. I have to go digging back in my notes. It's somewhere in one of my many, many tabs on my computer. So... But no, I I I think that's part of a reference that we're getting from that novel, but I need to go read. But yeah, that's part of it. Oh. But yeah, I'm gonna be looking into it a lot more, and I'm gonna definitely have it for next time so that we can discuss that in more detail. Cause that's very interesting to me.
0: Yeah. Was there anything else to mention?
1: Uh let's see.
0: Just overall ah- thoughts,
1: I guess. Ahsoka's an amazing TV show. I love it to death. Um, it's great to see Ezra back. I'm very interested to see how Ezra will react to all the news. Especially to know that he's an uncle. Mm-hmm. Because he wouldn't have known that Jason existed. Yeah. So I, I really want to see that first meeting of Ezra and Jason when they get back to the real galaxy. Now, and could they have Zeb just make a cameo at the end? Could he please just pop up out of nowhere, please?
0: Yeah, I don't know what the circum. I, I still need to finish Mandalorian season three. I do know that he appears there. I'm not sure what the circumstances are on how he shows up, but yeah, I I would just love to see Zeb
1: yeah i think so our good friend Sandro, so here's our name drop (laughs) (laughs) what was the nickname that he wanted to be called oh oh hold up i gotta go find it but um while i while i go dig it up real quick um he has written up a complete timeline of everything going on in star wars post Return to the Jedi until the sequel movies begin. And he sent me a copy of it by email the other day. And part of what got me and him talking about this was... There's a scene in Mandalorian... Where Grogu's looking out the window of their spaceship. And he can see a glimpse of a Pergil. And Don thinks... That the Purgle that Grogu is seeing is actually the Purgle that's taking Ahsoka and Hu Hang to the new galaxy. Ah. So he was trying he was showing me the um how it fits in because I was kind of being dense and I didn't understand how it fit in. So we were talking about it for a little while a couple of days ago, and that's how it came up.
0: Yeah, well, we should trust in the wisdom. And I, I just found the name, so I'm going to say it. we need to trust in the wisdom of Grandmaster Funky J.
1: Funky J. Yeah, there we go. I have to go <laughs> look it up. <laughs> From now on, we're going to call him Grandmaster Funky J. It's a thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if that guy's doing a timeline like that, guy's putting that guy's putting quite a bit of effort into his stuff. So we got to trust. He is truly a grandmaster.
1: Yeah, he is. And like this, this timeline is just really well detailed out and I I really want to we're going to pull him onto the show at some point after we take a break from the weekly podcast thing and just have a talk about the timeline with him and see if he'd be down to explain his views because there's a lot of detail that he put into it. Yeah. Like I, I feel like he's done like deep dives into every episode of every series to get this timeline to make sense.
0: What would we give this episode what would you give this episode out of ten?
1: I would probably say an eight or an eight point five, because this felt like a setup to the next episode with Thrawn and the um him executing the plan that he wants to have executed. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm pro I'm gonna give it a nine just because the stuff with Balin is just really like hitting me with how they're making him a great villain. Yeah. So I and hero. Yeah, I'm a I'm a sucker for when they manage to make like villain characters not seem so evil. That's why I can watch this one particular episode of Tales of the Jedi over and over again and just and just constantly love it. And I know, but I keep a, I know, but i brought that up in like two straight podcast people. But I'm I'm gonna go into detail when Riz and I do Tales of a Jedi because there's. Yeah a lot of stuff that I want to talk about with this with that one episode and I think Riz knows what episode I'm talking about uh I think I do yeah um but yeah I I really like Baywin he might be one of my new fit he might be one of my I don't know if I would put him ahead of Thrawn just yet but nope but he's maybe slowly getting to where he's never going to be in front of Thrawn but he's he could be on equal level with thron just with his motivation alone i don't think he'll ever be better than thron just because i've read a book i've read an entire novel detailing thron's backstory so that's really hard to compete against
1: but he's try reading an entire trilogy like i'm doing right now that's some intense stuff
0: yeah exactly
1: and then there's another trilogy after it apparently i have to go read that goes even <laughs> further back in time but yeah, I'm going to
0: give it a 9 out of 10. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what these last two episodes are going to give us. Yeah. So, and,
1: uh, what are some expectations you have for the next episode? What are you hoping to see happen? I'm hoping... I,
0: I'm i not really sure if like, I got... So Thrawn and Ezra are appearing at roughly the exact period that I thought that they were going to show up. I thought that they would show up at either six or seven and they showed up in six. So yeah, yeah, I'm happy that they didn't wait too late to bring them in. I think they brought Ezra and Thrawn in at the exact right time. Um, I'm hoping that we, maybe we could spend like these next two episodes, maybe maybe, Maybe next episode we can just have like one big thing where like they're trying to prevent Thrawn from returning to the main galaxy, but then they fail. And then like the next episode is all about uh, them trying to, and then the next episode is all about them like trying to return to the main galaxy and possibly setting up for a future story. I'm like, what's going to happen? Because there's no way I... There is no way I would expect them to like just have Thrawn be completely killed off or something by the end of the show. I he's would, not
1: Cad Bane.
0: Yeah, of course. I would. I would probably. I mean, if they do that, I I don't know how I would feel about that. I'd be. I guess I would be fine with it, but I know that Dave Filoni is probably not going to do that. So I would. But I would hope that they could set up something to be like a potential Thrawn trilogy from the Legends where the new Republic has to face uh, Thrawn and, you know, kind of bringing the empire up to a rise because I I think that sets up for a perfect story where the new Republic feels complacent. They feel like they don't have to deal with much of anything because the Imperial remnant, that's what mom Mothma called it in the previous episode. uh, The Imperial remnant doesn't pose much of a threat. I'm legitimately hoping that we get like a big setup for something in a future series or a movie where we do have to see uh, what something would look like where a war between the Imperial Remnant that now has a legitimate leader on its yeah. side. That what threat that can pose to the New Republic.
1: And I'm kind of hoping that they can at least if they don't answer the question outright, they can at least hint at how Thrawn's interactions going forward impact the sequel trilogy because we do have in 25 years from this point the sequel trilogy beginning yeah so i'm very curious to see how they're going to handle that aspect of it because it feels like we're building this great story but I don't want to have it be hampered by, oh, well, here's where the sequel trilogy kind of fits in. And then we got to start trying to solve, well, why isn't Thrawn part of the sequel trilogy? Why isn't Ahsoka present for any of the activities when Luke has gone missing and all that? Like, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered by the end of this and somewhere or another.
0: And I I just want to say this to, like, all the – just to finish this podcast, and I I don't mean this to – I'm not trying to, like, alienate or gatekeep on the fandom here because I – so there are people who are saying that they think that this show is great but it still sucks because it ultimately leads to the sequel trilogy. And I just want to say this, guys. Okay, I get it. The sequel trilogy has problems. I have issues with it. I'm not going to defend those movies and pretend like they're great movies, but – just because this show has to connect to it, it's trying to fix things. Can we appreciate this show for what it is? Because, you know, I was reading a comment on a social media page like, this is a a legitimately good show. Like, I can understand why people didn't like Kenobi. I, I can see the issues of Kenobi. I don't see how anyone can dislike this show. And... This is a show that I feel like Filoni is making for, like, all Star Wars fans. Like, the people who love, like, the lightsaber fights, like, you know, who only watch the movies. And it's a show that you can genuinely enjoy even if you haven't watched the animated shows. Yeah. Can we enjoy this? And can we just not be Star Wars fans? Well, can we be Star Wars fans but not be Star Wars fans? If Can you know, we
1: when- be good Star Wars fans and not be toxic?
0: Yeah, exactly. I get it. The sequel trilogy rubbed us a lot of the wrong way, and I get that there's going to be issues with that, but give it a chance, because, I mean, you guys probably hated the Clone Wars series because it had to lead to the prequel era, and then now everyone hails the Clone Wars as being something that's even better than any of the Star Wars movies. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of fans that are like that. So I I just want to say that, and I'm not... I'm not throwing any shade. I'm not trying to gatekeep. I get, I'm going to say that I sympathize with your grievances. So I'm not even calling you out here. I'm just saying, enjoy this show for what it is and not worry about the fact that it's connected to the sequel, truly. Yeah.
1: No, they're going to solve it. Like, Filoni did the same thing with Clone Wars. Like, if you look back, nobody liked the prequels growing up. We all thought the prequels were terrible. But now that we have. Rebels and Clone Wars and Faloney. This prequel trilogy is actually pretty decent, minus episode one. Yeah. I mean, they can't fix everything. Episode one is still kind of garbage because of Zardzard's involvement, but <laughs> um, it's still pretty dang good, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. But any other closing thoughts you want to give?
1: No, I think we've run the hour. So, uh,
0: right. Well, parts seven and eight can't get here fast enough.
1: Nope. We need a, we need a time machine still.
0: Well, anyway, uh, so that wraps up this podcast. Uh, we thank you guys so much for checking it out. Uh, like we keep saying, Ahsoka is great until proven otherwise. Although at this point, I don't think it's ever going to be proven otherwise.
1: No, they can't.
0: Uh, so, We are going to keep doing our weekly podcasts of, uh, you know, these next two weeks for Ahsoka's part uh, seven and eight. Uh, We're still, um, I'm not sure if we've uh, like officially said what we're going to be doing after that, but we are going to be doing uh, um, reviews of uh, other animated Star Wars shows. Like, you know, of course we're going to do Clone Wars and Bad Batch, Uh, probably Resistance. Uh, I have a bunch of novel reviews backlogged and I am trying to finish uh, Shadows of the Sith. I've just been I've just had a couple of things happen in my personal life that have prevented me from doing a bit of reading, but I'm going to get to shadow of the Sith for you guys. Uh, So we thank you guys so much for checking us out. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, leave a comment down below with your thoughts on Ahsoka thus far. Uh, Be sure to like this video, subscribe to our channel if you're not already subscribed. Uh, If you're listening to us on Spotify or iTunes, first of all, we love you guys. We thank you guys for checking us out there. Be sure to give us a, five stars or, you know, a good review, at least on Spotify. I'm not sure how the rating system works on iTunes. Same thing. Oh, okay. Uh, Send us feedback at animesecrets.org and all that. And, uh, you know, you can follow us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram, all our social media pages. And that's pretty much it. Once again, we thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to us, and we will see you guys next time when we take a look at part seven of Ahsoka. But until that time, you guys stay safe. We love you. And may the Force be with you.